Good afternoon and welcome to an end of the work week edition of Ozarks at Large for October 15th, 2021. I'm Kyle Kellums and this is KUAF. Ahead today, a helping hand or two for monarch butterflies. Ozarks at Large's Jacqueline Froelich takes us to a monarch nursery. And in about four minutes, Michael Tilley from Talk Business and Politics discusses the Fort Smith School Board's decision to end a mask mandate and the process ahead for the city of Fort Smith when it comes to budgeting tens of millions of dollars. There are 781 new cases of COVID-19 in Arkansas after the latest round of testing. The Arkansas Department of Health added 10 confirmed deaths in the last 24 hours. There are now 505 virus patients in Arkansas hospitals. That's 26 fewer patients than this time yesterday. For the fifth consecutive week, the number of school districts with at least 50% of residents of that district fully vaccinated against COVID-19 is five. Bentonville still has the highest rate in the state with 54% of people living in that school district immunized. The numbers provided by the Arkansas Center for Health Improvement also indicate there are 22 school districts with at least 50 or more known new infections per 10,000 residents over a 14-day period. That is down from 40 such districts last week. A new study aims to track substance use at Arkansas colleges and universities. The Arkansas Collegiate Substance Use Assessment is the first survey of its kind in the state and asks students at institutions of higher education about their drug and alcohol use. Dr. Derek Slagle is director of the Survey Research Center at the University of Arkansas Little Rock and is leading the study. You know, this is our first time collecting this information. We're collecting information on student substance use, the consequences of the use, and then what students think their peers are doing and other uh, mental health concerns. And ultimately, we're trying to help create safer campuses. And also, uh, these results will be used for the substance abuse block grant uh, at the state level. And that's going to help plan, implement, and evaluate activities to prevent and treat substance use in the state of Arkansas. Dr. Slagle says at least 25 colleges and universities are participating in the study, though some, including the University of Arkansas and Fayetteville, are declining. To participate. Slagle says the survey also asked students to describe the relationship between their substance use and the COVID-19 pandemic. It is uh, an interesting year to do a foundational study because, you know, we're using this as, as one year. We're going to hopefully compare it over time and, you know, can also see what the, the changes are over time as we get further away from the pandemic. Slagle says the results of the survey will likely be released by early next year and will be used by schools in the Arkansas Department of Human Services to help mitigate substance use on college campuses. The final day for students to take the survey, which is only available through participating schools, is today. The campaign for Republican candidate for Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders is announcing a total of more than $11 million raised for next year's race. A press release says candidate Sanders raised more than $2 million in the most recent quarter and has $7 million cash on hand. That same press release says... Arkansas donations total about $3.7 million. All of the fundraising figures represent new record amounts for a gubernatorial candidate in state history. And expect a few delays Monday if driving near the Bella Vista Bypass interchange with Highway 71 and Walton Boulevard. Work on the new interchange to connect Highway 71 and Interstate 49 will require some rock blasting. Traffic might be stopped Monday between 9 a.m. and 3 p.m., weather permitting. This is Ozarks at Large with me, 
from his office in Fort Smith is Michael Tilley with Talk Business and Politics. Michael, welcome back. Hey, thanks for having me back, and um, it's nice to nice to be back. With we've had a little bit of rain, so not as much dust. Yes. Heading into fall, this is my time of year. I know you like it to be 200 degrees outside, but this is my time of year. I saw a forecast that suggested we might dip into the 30s this weekend, and so I'm all for it. Well, so the debate will begin in the Kellams household. When can a fireplace be operational? I say. <laughs> Somewhere below 58 degrees is prime. That is not universally uh, of the opinion. That's pretty however. specific. That's a pretty specific number. Well, um, I, I feel that's a compromise because I'm I'm letting 60 or 59 degrees not have a fire. Oh, okay. All right. I well, think. You didn't come here to talk about um, how we heat our home. Let's start off with um, masks. In Fort Smith Public Schools, the mandate is over. Right. The um, the Fort Smith Public School Board voted uh, unanimously, not unanimously, it was four to three split, the opposite of unanimous, um, to end the mandate. Now, there are, um, and, and by the way, the Fort Smith School District was one of the larger districts in the state that still had a mandate. Um I know Bentonville is going through its machinations, legal challenges, and that sort of thing. Um, but the, like I said, the board voted four to three to end it. And this is puzzling. No matter, I'm not going it's, to. It's not a. I'm not going to make a statement on whether they should have voted to keep it or not. But it's puzzling for two reasons. Uh, just on the surface, one, um, they surveyed teachers, both in staff, certified and classified employees. And out of around 2,000, a little over 1,400 responded. Of those, 38.6, around 39% said, let's end it immediately. 27.4% said, let's end it once the district's rate is at the yellow level, which is 29 or less cases per 10,000 residents in the, in the district area. And, the other, and another 34% said, let, no, no, let's keep the mask mandate. So effectively... Um, 61% of those surveyed, which is a, a significant plurality, said to, in some way, let's keep it or let's keep it until the numbers get lower than they are now. Because hmm. right now they, they don't, they're not at 29 or less cases. They're higher than that. But nevertheless, the board who, and some of these members talked about how they are listening to the voice of the district, voted to end it. Um, when, it's, when, like I said, a little over 61% of those surveyed said no, not yet. Uh, either no or no, not yet. Um, so that, that's the first puzzling thing. Uh, and the second is that they allowed no option for virtual learning. So the deadline to opt into the virtual learning program they have in Fort Smith is over until it picks back up again in December for the next semester. But so you had parents uh, saying, "Hey, we would have opted in for virtual learning if we would have known you're going to jerk, you're going to change the rules halfway through the game." But the school district is not, and we we asked the school district if they were going to make this optional, and we couldn't get any. All the only answer we got is, "Well, 
the deadline, the, the window opens up again in December for next semester. And we're like, no, what about now since you changed the rules? Yeah, that's that's seven we or eight I mean, weeks before of, of right. school in person. Yeah. Yeah. And so and, and what people need to understand is there are families out there who have extenuating circumstances. Maybe they have someone in their home who is going through chemo and has very weak immune system. You know, you don't do you send a child to school, a kid to school, a teenager to school? They and because now they're not masked, they might there's a greater risk than bringing something back to that immunocompromised person in the family. I mean, and there are a lot of different examples about why a family would. I mean, your first priority is you want your kid in school, physically in school. You you want that, but sometimes that's not the smartest thing for you and your family. But the school district had, has no virtual learning option. They're not making – they change the rules, but they're not changing another part of the rules to give people option to respond to the rule they changed, if that makes sense. So um, just very puzzling. I'll just use that word, very puzzling decision by the school board. I, I think I know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask anyway. If you – and this isn't the same thing as everyone being masked, of course, but you as as a student can still have – you can still decide to wear a mask, right? Yes, yes. Yeah. And and there are teachers who – if you look on some of the social media, Facebook posts and other things, they are – there were uh, a not insignificant number were saying, well, I'm still going to be wearing my mask. Um, but if you're around people who aren't wearing a mask, you just – Right. You increase your chances of, of getting infected, unfortunately. Uh, and some teachers, when they teach a class, they can't, you know, wear a mask because they need to make sure they're heard. Or, um, it, I mean, it, again, it's not – it's a very nuanced situation, and, and it's unfortunate that the school board didn't provide that option for people who may need to change their change their pattern. Right. At an upcoming uh, meeting – of the Fort Smith Board of Directors. We'll be hearing about budget proposals. And as you might expect, if you've been following uh, the city of Fort Smith news for the past few years, a lot of money could be earmarked for utility work. Yeah, it's, uh, and you, you pegged it. That's what I was going to focus on. Um, you know, every year we, we look at these numbers and they just get higher and higher. Um, and you <laughs> You get a sense of how much, when you look at this budget, you get a sense of how much it costs for a metro area for people to be able to use a toilet or take a shower, mm. provide fire suppression, all these things that you don't see these pipes, they're underground, and you, you know, you know, you're not at the water treatment center, and you're not at the pump stations and all the other infrastructure, so it's kind of out of sight, out of mind, but we're talking real money here. For example, the 10-year budget for the utility department is a little over $804 million. Uh, we're getting real close. A city, a metro area like Fort Smith is getting real close to using the B word for its budget in uh, for utilities. Now, this year, this next year, um, for work for the water system, the wastewater system, and for the consent decree work, uh, is going to be just under uh, $87 million. And that's a, that's a huge chunk of change. So that's a lot of work, um, and again, that a, a large part of that cost is driven by that consent decree, which is now estimated. And for catch some listeners up, in 2014, the city was forced by the federal government to fix its wastewater system, and that's 
estimated now to be around a $650 million price tag when all said and done. But this gives us a sense. The city of Fort Smith has not been that transparent in terms of what they have spent on consent decree work and what they're going to spend. So these budget uh, proposals that get laid out to the board uh, give us a sense of what they're doing. Another uh, one interesting part of the budget, too, is the Fort Smith Fire and Police Department are proposing, and it's not it's not budgeted yet, but it's a proposal to $10.8 million combined training facility. Um that they say would save them time and money. They wouldn't have to go to other training facilities. It would bring other fire and police department in, be a kind of a regional training facility. Um, and that's, you know, it's a big ticket budget item, especially when you got a consent decree uh, that you're staring down. But the Fort Smith board so far, from what I can gather, uh, are very amenable. They, I, they like this proposal. It'll be interesting to see how they work the budget to make it happen and how soon they do that. Well, now, you've got to have – so you, you're going to have these proposals. The budget has to be hammered out by when? Well, it's, that's a good question. It's the next few meetings. You know, sometimes – I hate to say that they'll hammer it out at the next meeting because sometimes they'll, they'll want to discuss something further, so they'll uh, move it to another study session or another meeting. But uh, they'll, they'll be hammering these out soon. They, I mean, they got to get – they got to get them approved soon, so these city different city apartments can begin can continue to plan and, and put these things in effect for next year. All right, fascinating to watch. Maybe not as fascinating as watching Mississippi and Arkansas trade touchdowns, but uh, still fascinating. Uh, yeah, I don't. I, I'm gonna. Uh, my whiskey budget's gonna go up if we start having games like that. <laughs> well, it you know. It was a regular game. It didn't go into overtime, and it still took, I think, more than four hours of of our lives to watch. Yeah, well, and it and it, then it didn't work out. But anyway, it was a good game. It was. I, a, it was good to see you. I, I, I was glad to see him fight like they did to come back. So highly entertaining. Highly entertaining. Yeah, but I, but I hate losing to Joey Freshwater. I hate that. <laughs> Michael Tilley is with Talk Business and Politics. He joins us almost every Friday to talk about the week's news. Michael, thank you very much. We'll check in next Friday. All right. You're welcome. Look forward to it. Former Secretary of State co-authors of Thriller, not John Quincy Adams. It was such a fascinating experience to just see the difference between, you know, nonfiction, like, oh, my gosh, another fact check. How many more do I have to do? And this liberation that fiction provides. Hillary Clinton's debut thriller and much more Saturday on Weekend Edition from NPR News. Weekend Edition Saturday, tomorrow morning from 7 to 9 on KUAF and available anywhere through the KUAF app. A few Arkansas connections in national headlines today. Former President Bill Clinton was admitted to a California hospital earlier this week for what the Washington Post is describing as a non-COVID-related infection. The former president was still in the hospital last night for monitoring, according to the Post. And the Washington Post is also reporting Ronnie Floyd, former senior pastor of Cross Church in Springdale, the current head of the Southern Baptist Convention's executive committee, will leave his executive role with the convention by the end of the month. His resignation follows a decision by that committee to waive attorney-client privilege when it comes to an investigation of sexual abuse inside Southern Baptist churches. Those stories of abuse were first uncovered in a series of articles written by writers for the Houston Chronicle and the San Antonio Express News in 2019. And the national governing body, USA Cycling, will soon be led by Little Rock resident Brendan Quirk. 
Cork has previously been cycling program director for Northwest Arkansas-based Runway Group. Ozarks at Large is underwritten, in part, by the Walton Family Charitable Support Foundation. Central Arkansas Library System's Six Bridges Book Festival is October 21st through the 31st. This free festival offers virtual presentations from illustrator Vashti Harrison, authors Helen Oyeyemi, Jasmine Guillory, and others, plus a look at African-American barbecuers, pitmasters, and restaurateurs with Adrian Miller. SixBridgesBookFestival.org for event schedule. This is Ozarks at Large. A good Friday to you. A couple in Eureka Springs have hand-raised thousands of monarch butterflies from very tiny eggs over the past several years, releasing them into the wild. Ozarks at Large's Jacqueline Froelich takes us to their monarch hatchery. Steve Beecham, he's a noted Eureka Springs potter, and Mark Hughes, owner and designer of Regalia Handmade Clothing on White Street, love to garden, growing a wide variety of lush native plants, including perennial and annual milkweed, on which monarchs thrive. But then when I found out that if we just brought them in and put them in a pen and protected them from their predators, we would get so much better a survival rate for them than just growing the milkweed itself. I mean, in the garden, you go from about a 10% at best survival rate, just letting nature take its course, to a 90% survival rate if you bring them in and protect them from their predators. Monarch butterflies are among dozens of candidates listed by U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service for protection under the Endangered Species Act due to steep population declines. Come summer, Hughes says, the couple watch for female monarchs in their gardens where the butterflies lay tiny white eggs underneath milkweed leaves. What she will do is she will hover around the plant and you can watch her um, oviposit is the word, I believe, where she tucks her abdomen up under the leaf and just bloops out a little egg, one to a leaf. She goes all over the plant, fascinating to watch. And then when she's gone, we tend to wait a day or two for the egg to firm up a bit. And then we go egg hunting and bring them all in, as many as we can, before they hatch out on the plant. Hughes and Beecham carefully place several dozen eggs the size of a period into small plastic incubation chambers to protect them from predators. After a week, the eggs hatch into larvae, tiny caterpillars, which are sorted according to size into a half dozen spacious mesh enclosures designed for butterfly conservation. They're filled with bouquets of fresh milkweed on which the caterpillars crawl and feed. And also, you can start feeding them butternut squash when they get older if you're low on milkweed. After two more weeks, the fully grown and very plump caterpillars, which measure over two inches, covered with bright white, yellow, and black stripes, quest for a safe place to turn into a butterfly. They crawl to the top of their mesh enclosure, spin a silk web, and curl into a J to pupate, shedding their skin to form a hard iridescent pale green shell or chrysalis. The chrysalis is, it looks like jade to me. It looks like a beautiful little um, capsule of jade. And what really amazes me is, and I think this is how they got the name Monarch, is that they have this beautiful, looks like 24 karat gold um, 
little crown around part of the around the top of the chrysalis and then there are little dots of gold around the, the lower portion of it. That gold crown is called a diadem filled with carotenoids that both absorb and reflect the light creating the appearance of shiny gold. The jade chrysalis becomes transparent and soft over the next 10 days through which a fully formed monarch can be seen. And then what comes out of that chrysalis suddenly has wings. I mean, that you didn't see that coming. There's this amazing transformation that happens so many times in their, in their life cycle. And then the satisfaction of letting them go and be part of that migration that you know is coming through that they need to join. Monarch butterflies using their large orange and black wings embark on a cross-continental journey, often in flocks called kaleidoscopes in late summer and early autumn, but first they must hang upside down from their empty chrysalis shell after emerging to gain strength, slowly unfurling and drying their crumpled wet wings. Before release, in certain situations, Hughes and Beecham provide them nectar, sugar water to gain strength, on which full-grown monarchs subsist. Hughes opens the chamber and gently brings out a freshly hatched female monarch. Now she's going to shiver a little bit to warm up. She actually shivers. Sometimes they turn their head to stretch their neck, which makes it look like they're looking both ways before they cross the street. And then they flap a couple times and they take off for the sun. But they're real clumsy when they first take off. They, they have to spend a couple days in your area where they hatched, just getting used to the pattern of the sun, which tells them, you know, everything they need to know, and getting used to flying, and they get by the second or third day, they get a little more graceful, like the one that just went by. As he spoke, other monarchs flutter by as if to visit for a little. He carries the young monarch to the edge of the porch. She flexes her wings a little and gently lifts off his finger. This female monarch is now part of a super generation of monarchs that migrate annually to Mexico's central highlands to overwinter in a special biosphere forest preserve created to protect what's left of them. Due to climate change, pesticides, and habitat destruction, their population has plummeted by 80% over the past two decades. These ephemeral creatures migrate thousands of miles from as far away as Canada, guided by the sun, traveling 50 miles each day, coasting on thermal air currents, flying a mile high. With everyone you let go, you feel this sense that you've accomplished something for them and, and to keep them in existence. When the last monarch flies away, the hatchery is scrubbed and stored until next summer. This is the sixth season the couple have grown monarch butterflies. It looks like we're going to release about 375. Butterfly by butterfly, Mark Hughes and husband Steve Beecham, along with many other pollinator enthusiasts across the country, are helping monarchs to recover. For Ozarks at Large, I'm Jacqueline Froelich. And we have photographs and a short video clip of Mark Hughes releasing one of the hand-raised monarchs at OzarksAtLarge.com. Ahead on this Friday edition of our show, two members of the band Olympics, one of three bands on a bill Sunday night at George's Majestic Lounge in Fayetteville, talk to Ozarks at Large's Timothy Ness about their music and that upcoming triple bill. If you caught some games at our best ballpark in the first half of the season... You saw a couple of major award winners playing in Springdale. M.J. Melendez earned the Joe Bauman Award for hitting the most home runs. 
of any minor league player in the country this past summer. And Bobby Wood Jr. was named the Baseball America Minor League Player of the Year. Both started the season as Northwest Arkansas Naturals before being promoted to AAA Omaha during the course of the season. And yesterday, we mentioned the University of Arkansas Library, Mullins Library, is hosting an exhibit highlighting the first 150 years of the University of Arkansas. That exhibit is in the Helen Robson Walton Reading Room at Mullins. Well, if you're going for that exhibit, make sure you see another library exhibit about the history of the University of Arkansas Library. It sounds better, yes, but it's also pretty cool. There are artifacts, photographs, and documents from special collections that explain the story of 150 years of library service to the campus. The library examination of the library can be found on the lobby level of the library, and you have until January 2022 to see it. In the background is Jane Bunnett on the flute, along with her group Makeke, five Cuban women who make up this extraordinary group. And I'm Robert Ginsburg, your host for Shades of Jazz. We'll hear more from Makeke, as well as Eric Bird's trio, Carl Allen and Rodney Whitaker, Mark Fontana, and much more. Tune in to Shades of Jazz Friday and Saturday right here on KUAF. This is Ozarks at Large. The number of Arkansans getting vaccinated is increasing, but some are still wary of getting the shot. Last night, during a virtual town hall on Arkansas PBS, Dr. Shane Spites, the dean of the New York Institute of Technology College of Osteopathic Medicine at Arkansas State University, said ongoing conversations are proving effective. I do some work for the Jonesboro Police Department, and I've got a pretty obstinate group there that, that I've worked with through in terms of police officers. And then, but working on them month after month after month, just a week ago, I get a text, sends me a, 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 a screenshot of his vaccination card. And so it's, the, it's that chipping away. It's that, it's that trust and that conversation that you have to have. Dr. Kelly Ferris, the CEO of the Lee County Cooperative Clinic based in Mariana, said more African-Americans in the state are choosing to get vaccinated too. People are tired. People are, are just literally tired of this pandemic. And so that is forcing them almost, forcing them to say, I'm going to do whatever I have to do. Uh, to, to not only protect myself and my children, but to help get us out of this mess that we are in. According to the Arkansas Department of Health, more than 1.3 million Arkansans are fully vaccinated. Dr. Ferris emphasized the need for those who get vaccinated to report any symptoms they might experience. When you're vaccinated, you, you get this uh, information to, to sign up for V-SAFE. It is very important mm-hmm. that once you're vaccinated that you follow through mm-hmm. with that and, and send in that information on what your symptoms are so when studies are conducted, they have accurate information. And Dr. Shane Spites with the NYIT College of Osteopathic Medicine at ASU addressed questions from viewers about side effects. Now, in terms of the vaccine actually causing strokes, causing heart attacks, um, I'm not familiar with any data that is specific to that in terms of a significant risk of stroke or heart attack from that. Have I heard about the ringing of the ears? I have. It's a very small percentage of individuals uh, that have had that. It's about a 0.004% chance is my understanding. According to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the most common side effects of the vaccines approved for use in Arkansas are soreness at the site of the shot and fatigue. Support for KUAF comes from Woodstone Pizza, located on South School Avenue and Uptown on Mall Avenue in Fayetteville. 
Wood-fired pizzas, salads, local beers, and wines are available for dine-in and curbside from 11 a.m. to 9 p.m. Tuesday through Sunday. WoodstoneCraftPizza.com for menus and more. KUAF is supported by Little Guys Movers, a community-oriented company rooted in creating better lives for customers and employees alike, providing jobs and serving customers for over 28 years. More than just a moving company. LittleGuys.com for information. This is Ozarks at Large. This weekend, a collection of local rock and roll bands will put on a free show at George's Majestic Lounge in Fayetteville. This free concert takes place Sunday night. Beginning at 9, it will feature Moonsong, Fight Dreams, and Olympics. Two of the members of Olympics, Kevin Lujano and Charles McGowan, recently sat down with Ozarks at Large's Timothy Dennis to talk about the upcoming show and to talk about their music. Lujano says the band's name came to him one morning while he was walking on the University of Arkansas campus. So I think I was on my way to class in the morning as an architecture student. I was very sleep deprived. I think I saw somebody with an Olympic jacket on, but I don't remember if I completely made that up or not. I just remember thinking, man, Olympics would be a cool band name. And yeah, we were like discussing band names, I think. And then you like brought that one up and everyone was immediately just like, yes. That's that's no, it because, right there. Yeah, sometimes you just it's it's difficult to come up with a band name. You know? yeah. It's like this is what you're going to be called for, so you better you know just stick with one. Which is harder to come up with a band name or a song name? A uh, band name easily, yeah. just because oh, for sure. uh, with songs you you have uh, lyrics and it's kind of funny because our only instrumental song still has the working title "Banger" because it has no <laughs> lyrics, so we never actually came up with anything uh, for it. Just still the working title. So how did y'all come together as a band then? I'd been playing music with my really close friend, Daniel. I've known him since junior high. He used to play guitar. Now he plays bass. And then Charles, I knew him since I was, I think, in junior high. Ramey Pride. Yeah. (laughs) After that, we just ran into each other one day. I forgot where, but he told me he played drums, you know, and a drummer is very difficult to find. It's difficult to find a good drummer, Mm -hmm. but we found Charles. That was, what, two years ago? Because, yeah, it was summer of 2019. And then, yeah, yeah, we just started making music together and then Uh came up with a few songs and got some gigs and here we are. A few months ago, I think probably like four months I got together with an old friend. I invited him over. He started playing my piano, and I was like, oh, my gosh, man, you, wow, you play you play piano. You play keys. I don't know why I didn't ask you that. I've known him my whole life, basically. <laughs> so Miguel ended up being our, our synth and keys player. Don't know why I didn't ask him sooner. But yeah, which we had been looking for one for, for a while, <laughs> but she yeah. found him randomly. How does adding in that extra texture of keys, how has that changed the feel of the band? I think it adds a lot more depth to the songs. I mean, I liked being a three-piece. Like, it was nice. There's some simplicity to that, but I do think it adds to, like, the new wave sound more. Mm -hmm. I I like it a lot. Whenever we were a three-piece, I had to use more of my pedals to kind of create a texture and to fill in the, the spaces and play chords because... I also do vocals and, you know, sometimes it's a bit 
difficult to do lead and vocals. But with Miguel coming into it, sometimes he'll do lead on his keyboard or he'll play chords and he'll add that texture. It makes it more cohesive in the end. I gotcha. Mm-hmm. Y'all came together as a band around 2019. Y'all mm-hmm. been together since. How did the pandemic affect y'all as a band? I mean, because it seems like if you start in 2019, you're starting to build up momentum. Yeah. And then pandemic hit. But it seems like y'all have kind of like kept rising, you know, as things have opened back up. Like how 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 has that impacted you, I guess? That's exactly what happened. It kind of all just we played three shows. We did the like Southern Run, yeah. which was like Hot Springs, Memphis, and Little Rock. And that was three shows. And then we came back and did one show in Fayetteville, I think. And that was the last one, right? Or there was another one. We did our first show at Backspace. Right. And then I think we did those we three back. shows. Yeah. And then after that, that was basically yeah. And it. then we stopped for a long time. Mm-hmm. But it gave us time to work on material like the pandemic. And that's when we recorded our two singles as well mm-hmm. that are on Spotify. So, yeah, that was nice. But, yeah, it's, it is odd playing music again, you know. Yeah, we actually we took quite a break. It just seemed, I guess, that the pandemic just felt eternal and it still is and so for a while we kind of lost a sense of that but as we were able to start playing gigs you know but we kind of just ran with it you know then bands started asking us to play with them and that's kind of how it's gone it's gone very well and we're very thankful for you know everybody that's been supporting us you know, it really means a lot. And it was very helpful to to start playing shows and and to just kind of keep with that upward trajectory just because of all of the support we've had from people. Have you ever felt like netting the water? Pull you down, take you away. Tell me, is it cold? Living by the wire.
have been playing a lot of shows. I mean, how how has the crowd reaction been to this music? It's been very good. Yeah. yeah. Pretty good. We're um, probably going to take a little bit of a break mm-hmm. after these few shows. Working. Hopefully work on some new material. Right. So, um, yeah. It won't um, be the same set, you know, yeah. but <laughs> yeah. people like it, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Oh, that's the thing. Since we weren't able to actually gig, we would get together and practice these songs for most of the pandemic. So we've heard them so many times. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Even though we haven't played them in front of people for a year or anything like that, we've played it a good amount ourselves. Yeah. So we think it's time to. And also with the addition of Miguel, you know, it's time to get everybody working together, uh, especially most of those songs from our set were done when we were a three-piece. And now with Miguel into the mix... It's definitely changed creatively for the better. Yeah, and he did a great job just coming in and creating these parts mm-hmm. for songs that we already had. You know, he's wants to change some of them and experiment with, mm-hmm. you know, playing more guitar and stuff too. Mm-hmm. So we're excited to do that because I feel like some songs do call for more guitar instead of keys, you know. Yeah. If you were describing your music to someone who's never heard you, how would sh- how would you describe it? It's a bit difficult just because I feel like the songs have a bit of range. It goes back to the whole fact that we were kind of a three-piece. At first, when we started playing, we were very heavily influenced. Well, I I was definitely very influenced by uh, Shoegaze at that moment. But then it sort of started going towards Dream Pop in the direction. And then ultimately in a new wave, post-punk, I guess, era vibe and i think we've gotten people saying we sound similar to the smiths or joy division different things like that but it definitely heavily influenced i I personally am heavily influenced by uh post-punk and 80s music in general gotcha but yeah we have a lot of different influences i'd say i I think that's that's everyone in the band has like different tastes so Mm -hmm. It all comes from somewhere. You know? I gotcha. Which I think is is great. And I, I think that's why it's so difficult for me to put even a genre on it. I'm not saying that we're some insane new <laughs> groundbreaking genre, but it's its own thing, I think.
So y'all have a show coming up this weekend. Uh, tell us a little bit about it. Yes. So it is our show at George's Majestic Lounge with Moonsong and Fight Dream. And we're very excited. We've played sets with them before, and they're all great guys. Um, and we're super excited to play with them again. It is a free show. It is a free show. At George's at 9 p.m. All right. Mm-hmm. And is it in the lounge or is it out back? I am not sure. Last okay. time it was in the back room, but I am not it's sure. It's going to be in the back room again. Oh, it is? Mm-hmm. Okay. So cool. this isn't your first time to play at George's then? Second. Second. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yes. It, it was interesting. The first time we played, we played the back room. And that was my first time stepping into George's in general. <laughs> so it was interesting. But yeah. So Cody from Moonsong was kind of um, pushing the show also like about the fact that we're playing shortened sets a little bit. It's still going to okay. be like most of the set. They're going to be shortened by about, I guess, 10 minutes. Okay. Just so people don't have to stay out all night. You right, know? They right. can come to the show, then enjoy the rest of their night if they would like to. Which for someone who's, you know, a little bit older like me, I appreciate that. Yeah. I appreciate <laughs> yeah. getting home before midnight. You know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that, that's I think that's what we were we were going for is yeah. getting people home before midnight. As do I. I appreciate that too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I so, feel very old all the time. <laughs> no after party, just go yeah. home and sleep after yeah. the show. So you have the show coming up this weekend at Georgia's. You have a few other shows coming up in the next couple weeks, right? Yes, we do. We have one at the U of A. It's going to be next Wednesday. Next Wednesday, the 20th. And then the 22nd is going to be at Nomad's Trailside. And that one's with Funk for Monks and And the Dreaded Laramie. Laramie. And the Dreaded Laramie is actually touring. So they're actually going through NWA. And so it's going to be a really good show, too. That was Kevin Luvano and Charles McGowan two members of the band Olympics. They spoke with Ozarks at Large's Timothy Dennis earlier this year. They'll perform Sunday night at George's Majestic Lounge in Fayetteville. Joining them on that bill, bands Moonsong and Fight Dream. Admission is free. Free! You can find music from Olympics on all major music streaming platforms, and you can keep up with the band on Instagram. Crystal Bridges Museum of American Art in Bentonville offers the perfect destination to experience art, architecture, and 120 acres of Ozark nature. Visitors can explore the galleries, walk the trails, or participate in art-making programs. More information at crystalbridges.org. Community Creative Center's summer art camps are still available with rotations of fine art, craft, theater, and dance for children ages 7 through 12. Hands-on learning is led by local artists using a wide array of traditional materials and techniques. Classes located in Walton Arts Center's Nadine Baum Studios in Fayetteville. CommunityCreativeCenter.org for more information. This is Ozarks at Large. The Six Bridges Book Festival will bring scores of novelists, essayists, chefs, children's authors, historians, and other writers to us over an 11-day period that begins Thursday and runs through Halloween. The festival is assembled by the Central Arkansas Library System in Little Rock. But the virtual nature this year means you can effectively consider it a statewide and beyond book festival. And this festival is more than just listening to authors. There are workshops for aspiring writers and contests that involve pets and edible treats inspired by classic books. This week, we reach Brad Moy with the Central Arkansas Library System. He's the festival's director by Zoom. We asked him about going all virtual this year after initially preparing 
to have a hybrid event. Since since it was going to be hybrid, we gave authors the option, you know, because there was such a tentative um, nature out there. Um, so since we we began it that way, uh, I think that um, we always knew that some of it would be virtual. And I think that that helped us um, get some of the authors who might not have been able to come um, in person, it's so much easier to, you know, be in pajamas and in your house and give us 90 minutes of your time rather than, um, you know, a flight here, a flight back to two or three days here. Um, so I think that that helped. And then I guess the intimacy of um, the screen, I know, you know, it might be a little weird to say that, but when you just have two people on your screen, sometimes it feels a little more intimate. Um, even though the audience is watching, uh, sometimes the conversation lends itself into areas that might not have been um, delved into in, if it were in an auditorium. Well, and here you are in Little Rock. Here I am in Fayetteville. I'm going to be able to... Um, be part of the audience for which authors I want. That's something. It's easier for me to be in my pajamas in Fayetteville than get in the car and drive two and a half or three hours south to Little Rock to be in there in person as well. Sure. Uh, eight of the authors are going to be transmitting from other countries. Uh, so that's that's really cool. Um, probably if it were all in person, it would be maybe two that we would be able to have just because of budgetary constraints and all of that. So that's given us a real opportunity. Looking at the roster of authors, you have chefs, you have novelists, you have historians, you have black authors, white authors, Hispanic authors, male, women, non-binary. I'm guessing that this sort of well-rounded, both in, in uh, who people are and what they create, was part of the overall scheme to put together the festival. Definitely, I mean, we want a very diverse, very diverse roster um, every year. We want that, um, and we really did push for um, that. With that being said, we didn't put any one author on the roster uh, because of one thing and one thing only. Um, every one of the authors, you know, brings, brings something more than just a category to the table. This isn't fair. I'm just going to say this at the top. It isn't fair. <laughs> but are there a few authors you're excited about uh, to share with the, the book festival audience? More than 75. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, um, it, 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 yes, yes, of course there are. Um, Jean Hoff Corlett, uh, who has written a book called The Plot. Um, her previous book was, um, one of her previous books were, was turned into The Undoing on HBO with Nicole Kidman and um, Hugh Grant. Uh, so that should be fun. It's a thriller. Black Smoke by Adrian Miller, um, African-Americans of the United States of Barbecue. He's a James Beard Award winner, and it includes 22 recipes as well. Um, Dean Joe, because 
This is in October. The case of the murderous Dr. Cream, the hunt for a Victorian era serial killer. That's actually was one of my nominations. I just thought, um, you know, that that fits that fits the mood of October, and it, it's something a little bit different. It's a different take on the old serial killer trope. Um, Jacqueline Woodson. This is the second year we originally were going to have her this past year in person. And then we decided to move it to 2021, her visit, um, thinking that, you know, we would be able to have her in person and then it shifted to virtual. So, but we actually have her uh, virtually and she's a MacArthur genius. So um, delighted to have her. And, you know, we have two National Book Award winners and then one of the folks coming, Lauren Groff, it has just been named a finalist for the National Book Award in Fiction this year. One of those National Book Award winners, Nate Powell, who yes. is a native of Little Rock. Absolutely. And then um, Charles Yu is the other one. You mentioned the workshops, the creating workshops, um, but we also have uh, a teen writing contest, um, Tasty Reads, the edible book contest, which is a blast. Uh, and then um, this year, for the first time, we're doing something called Trick or Toga, which is a pet trick and costume contest. Um, the audience votes on Trick or Toga and Tasty Reads. So if folks get it, get their entries in by the 24th of October, then that second week of the festival, audience actually votes, and then you find out who wins on the last day. Let's go back to the Tasty Reads for a second. How sure. does this work? Edible Books. This is the third year that we're doing it, and you have two, two divisions, a junior division and uh, the senior or the adult division. Um, we don't have a lot of rules, except that it all has to be made out of edible materials. Some people go for the dead-on literal for the book cover. Some people uh, do not. <laughs> a very funny one last year was Lord of the Flies that had this piece of Swiss cheese, and I don't know if it was licorice as the handle or not, looking like a fly swatter and little raisins as, <laughs> as flies. It was very funny. It did not win, but it, it really made me laugh. Um, we're, we've installed or gone back. The first year we did it, we had a most humorous, and we took that out this last year, and so we brought that back. So that that's our third prize for that. Um, but it's a blast, and and people people enjoy actually doing it, and then they enjoy um, voting on it as well. Well, a four year old won the junior division last year uh, with a pigeon pop uh, based on those pigeon books. It, it was super cute. Brad Moy is the director of the 2021 Six Bridges Book Festival sponsored by the Central Arkansas Library System. You can see the schedule of authors and learn more at cals.org, C-A-L-S.org. Just think of the abbreviation for Central Arkansas Library System. We'll hear from some of the authors who are part of the festival on Ozarks at Large next week. And the name of the festival, by the way, refers to the six bridges spanning the Arkansas River in downtown Little Rock. On the next Fresh Air weekend, Amir Questlove Thompson talks about his new book in which he chooses songs from each year since his birth that connect with memorable parts of his life. And we hear from tuba player Richard Antoine White. As a child, he slept in abandoned houses and parks. He's now principal tubist for the New Mexico Philharmonic. Join us. Fresh Air Weekend is now part of our Saturday morning lineup. You can hear it 
at 11 o'clock tomorrow. Following It's Been a Minute with Sam Sanders, now heard at its new Saturday time, 10 in the morning, right after Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. You can also hear Terry Gross and Fresh Air Weekend Sunday evenings at 6 on KUAF and, of course, through the live stream available for free at KUAF.com. Monday on Ozarks at Large, another talk with Randy Dixon from the David and Barbara Pryor Center for Arkansas Oral and Visual History. We'll use archives from the center this Monday to talk about the life and career of Arkansas Senator Dale Bumpers. We'll hear the young Dale Bumpers as he runs for governor as an unknown. And we'll hear from the retired Senator Bumpers as he delivers the closing defense argument in the impeachment trial of President Bill Clinton in Washington, D.C. An archival trip with Dale Bumpers on Monday's Ozarks at Large. Plus, Ozarks at Large's Jacqueline Froelich will be on hand Monday to deliver details about a farm-to-school program. That and much more. You can hear our daily edition of Ozarks at Large on KUAF at noon and 7 every weekday and listen through the KUAF app. Timothy Dennis produced today's show. This is KUAF 91.3, Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Bentonville, and Nail. Ozarks at Large is a production of KUAF, and KUAF is a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. Contributors to our show this Friday included Jacqueline Froelich, Timothy Dennis, and Michael Tilley with Talk, Business, and Politics. You can read much more about what Michael and I talked about on today's show at talkbusiness.net, and there's much more at talkbusiness.net as well. Also, a big thank you to additional work today from KUAR Public Radio for Little Rock and Central Arkansas, and thanks to Arkansas PBS. Our membership directory, KUAF, by the way, Sherry Ottaviano. It makes her smile when you go to supportkuaf.com and financially support your public radio station. We will return Sunday morning at 9 for Weekend Ozarks at Large. And as I mentioned, we're already working on a series of all-new shows for next week beginning Monday at noon. Thanks so much for being with us. Have a safe weekend. I'm Kyle Kellums.